Welcome to the Wellness Renaissance Podcast, exploring topics to help you find the pieces that fit into your health puzzle. That moment was the moment that I stopped wanting to starve my body. I had a whole new respect for my body, wanting to understand it, wanting to respect it after having years where I had so many negative emotions around it. And I love what you said about this pressure we can put on ourselves to even do body positivity right, because I think that's an incredibly important uh, piece to keep in mind is that body positivity to me is not uh, a destination. It's not just like sexual empowerment. I don't think it's a, a place that we go and we get there and, hey, we're done. We're cool. We got this. I love my body. You know, we hear so much about like, love your body, just love your body, um, which sounds very simple and, and often isn't. And I wanted to challenge this idea that you couldn't be a quote unquote good person, especially a good girl, uh, a woman who has morals and also embrace your sexuality. Because when I would talk about girl boner, so often people would give me this look just like aghast that I was the one saying it because they expect someone who is a quote unquote sex person to have a lot of tattoos and to be like, you know, which is great if that's who you are. But I just happen to have this like Minnesota nice vibe about me. And so I wanted to challenge that idea. And I thought that most of my readers would be female. And at the start, they kind of were. Hey everyone, this is Judy with Wellness Renaissance and the Wellness Renaissance Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. The guest I have for you today is August McLaughlin and she is a Minnesota girl. If you are not familiar with her work, I highly suggest you hang on and keep listening. She is amazing. She has quite an amazing journey that she describes beautifully that I think so many of us women, but really I think men or anybody else, wherever you're on that spectrum, can identify with and understand. And she just really makes things simple and clear, speaking from her perspectives, but really pulling in, in her book and her podcast, experts and ideas that really kind of fill everything out and I think help us to see ourselves and maybe kind of expand within our own body and mind. And she very much invites us to do that. And by sharing her own experiences and her observations makes it very possible. It's a a wonderful book. She's going to talk about some of the things that she talks about there in our podcast today. I gave you a little taste in the opening segments, but one of the things that I appreciate about her is her view and her description of body positivity. I think she explains that we talk about it in the podcast and she kind of gives you some tools to go forward, but I think she makes it very real and kind of less of a fake it till you make it kind of thing and more of a, how do we do this and make it real so we can feel good wherever we are? And (laughs) that sometimes changes, right? Some days you got it going on and other days it's like, wow trying to uh, get through the muck and the messages gets pretty deep. There is so much more I could say about her work, her books, her podcasts, all the great things that she is delivering, but I want to get us into the episode and share this with you. I'm really excited for you to be exposed to her, and if you are somebody who knows her work already, rock on. Before we head in, I want to thank you so much for being a listener of the podcast and to invite you to share these episodes with people you know. Before we dive in, I want to thank you so much for being a listener of the podcast and thank you 
folks who share the podcast with other people. That is how we grow. It is you sharing these episodes with other people that get them to be aware of not only the podcast, but also the people and the information on it. So thank you so much for doing that. I am greatly appreciative. You can, of course, also support through Patreon. I am so grateful and appreciative to our Patreon supporters. You are the folks that financially help make this happen. So thank you so much. You definitely have a special bright place in my heart and I am so grateful for all of you. Which brings me to the sponsor of this podcast, Green Home Solutions. Mold, disinfection, odor, allergen control. Oh my gosh, you guys. I went to their Facebook page, the Duluth Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook, go check this out. It is crazy. If you scroll down, I'm not sure which day this was posted, but probably like the 18th of September. There is a picture of a basement and there are freaking mushrooms growing in there. It is wild. Like like toadstools, mushrooms. I don't know. I don't know the technical difference. I'm sorry. All you mushroom people out there have just embarrassed myself. But oh my gosh, you have to check this out. I didn't even know that was a thing that could happen. Anyway, <laughs> wow. So don't let that happen to you. And we're heading into winter. So it's a nice time maybe to get some of these things figured out before your house is locked up too much. And maybe you noticed something in the cold days where the house was kind of closed up and now we've recently had some very beautiful weather as you can hear behind me by the extra ambient street noise. I'm not sure how much that comes through, but hopefully you get to hear the flute player that's been walking up and down the street playing outside my window. But no matter where you are, greenhomesolutions.com, they will help you find the person nearest you if you are here in Duluth, Minnesota. You can call Steve and his crew at 218-206-9549 and anywhere else, 800 solutions. But go check out that picture on Facebook, man. That is just wow. And keep scrolling and you'll get to learn. Oh, there's a puppy in the kitty pictures. Keep scrolling. Puppies and kitties. Woohoo. All right. <laughs> Squirrel. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Um, just so you know, I don't think it matters, but we did record this conversation a couple months ago, back more towards the beginning of COVID. So if there's anything out of context, that would be potentially why. All right. I have to tell you, August, that your name is very cool to me. I've never met a person who's female named August before. My grandpa's name was August. So was mine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. It, It is traditionally a, a man's name. It's so cool. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> Was Thank it you. fun for you growing up with a unique name? Oh, it's a very long story, actually. <laughs> um, but uh, but I, I do, I actually enjoy the name jokes. Like, I, I know some people get really irritated when in April, everyone's like, it's your month. But I actually really appreciate it. I think it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I have to listen to the, you know, the Judy, Judy, Judy joke or the Hey Jude song song and I, I embrace it. So, (laughs) but it's always interesting when you have a name that has another reference to it. Yeah. No kidding. I try to notice the first person to wish me a happy August and like do something. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And actually last year it was somebody, I went to the gym and I was having a really tough day. And she said, I've been waiting 
for weeks to say this. Happy August. It's your month. And I was so touched by it. I almost cried because I was having such a rough time, (laughs) but I didn't know her personally. So I didn't want to pour my whole soul out because I didn't think she would feel comfortable with that, but it (laughs) meant a lot to me. So if you're listening, thank you. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Well, let's get into what you do. So I want to share with everybody, you have a a great book called Girl Boner, a great podcast. Oh my gosh, you have so many great guests and topics. And I just, I love it. I love your podcast. It's so like what I aspire mine to be. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot. I really enjoy doing it. Oh, it's so good. Let's dive into the word girl boner and where that comes from. And then the other thing I I just noticed this when I was, you know, listening to your, your book and your podcast that that comes up sometimes. And it seems like it come, it was talked about more before than I hear about it now. And maybe that's just the way I'm hearing things, but you mentioned for the good girl. Mm. So I want you to define both of those words. What does, what do they mean? Sure. So girl boner came to me when I was a kid, I had this really awkward sex ed class, like so many of us have had. And I remember learning a little bit about quote unquote male pleasure and nothing for a female. And I was out at recess and I heard someone talking about boners. And once I realized what that meant, I I literally asked myself, like, what about girl boners? There has to be something positive in all of this for somebody like me. So I had this curiosity for a very long time. And then after high school, I went into the fashion industry. And while doing that work, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder and embracing my sexuality ended up helping me move past it and really heal. And I believe it saved my life. So I'm very passionate about these topics and about empowerment and realizing that, you know, these issues are not unique to me. So many people are harmed by a lack of comprehensive sex education and the mixed messages we receive. And so girl boner had been a joke term for me for a long time, you know, since I was like 11 in that class. And it just seemed like the perfect word to bring up this conversation. So I started it as a a blog series and I trademarked it. And then about a year later, the podcast started. Let's talk about where the good girl piece comes in all of all of this, how that is part of your description. Sure. So good girl is a term that's in the subtitle of my book, and it was part of my blog series when I first started because I wanted to challenge this idea that you couldn't be a quote unquote good person, especially a good girl, uh, a woman who has morals and also embrace your sexuality. Because when I would talk about girl boner, so often people would give me this look just like aghast that I was the one saying it because they expect someone who is a quote unquote sex person to have a lot of tattoos and to be like, you know, which is great if that's who you are. But I just happen to have this like Minnesota nice vibe about me. And so I wanted to challenge that idea. And I thought that most of my readers would be female. And at the start, they kind of were. So the book series is geared toward people who are, um, who identify as female or femme, but my podcast and the whole brand is about sexual empowerment for everyone. I I love that. And I, I absolutely love that you're challenging putting those two things together because I think we need, you know, we have this divide, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it it causes a lot of people to not figure out how to cross those lines and how to be both. 
I actually had a question from a listener on my other podcast, and it was it was a, a man in his 60s, and his wife, he basically said, she has chosen grandmother over lover. Mm. And I thought that was so sad because mm. like, you, you can, you could have both. She can be both. She gets to be both, you know? Right. We are, we are these very multifaceted human beings and it's amazing. I, I knew that if I put the word or the term girl, girl boner with the term good girl, it would reach people who would not necessarily pick up girl boner because they thought I am the grandma. I am the, you know, I am, I go to Sunday school. This book is not for me. Mm-hmm. And so I have a, a large segment of my audience, especially my readership who do feel that they have to separate because that's what we learn that you have to be this kind of pious proper person. And that doesn't involve sex, even though we are born literally sexual beings. So <laughs> it's, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Our culture is so, it's so fascinating. And I love the trying to sort of break down those walls and kind of intermingle things a little bit and create a little bit more of a, of a, of a soup than a, you know, a TV dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit more. Well, I I also want to mention this too, because you had mentioned the Minnesota nice. You're from Minnesota. Yes. And you, you lived here most of your growing up years, right? I did. And I still consider it home. I lived there all the way through high school and then a little bit again in my 20s. Do you get, do you get back here very often? Yes, not as often as I would like. I am homesick currently. So it's nice to talk <laughs> to someone in Minnesota because I was already feeling like I needed to get back and then the pandemic came. So I, um, yeah, I, I try to go back several times a year you know, for the holidays and, and stuff like that. I have a pretty big family who, who all live there. Nice. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great place to be. You and I met when I was in LA for, for the conference and that's, are you're based out of LA or at least California? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I am. I've lived here for, gosh, as you know, I'm terrible with numbers, but I think <laughs> probably about maybe 15 years or something. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So a while. It's such an intriguing place, California. I've only been there twice, but I, I, it's, very, it's very curious to me. It is uh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and the weather was so delightful. I mean, I just oh. like, oh my gosh. I, yeah, I love Minnesota, but I'm telling you, I'm not a fan of the cold winters. So anytime <laughs> yeah. I can get anywhere warmer, it's just, I'm so, I'm so grateful for it. I do love the snowfall. I do. If it would just quit yeah. snowing and icing on sidewalks, it'd be great. Sure. Uh, and maybe not for like six months and, and below zero. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Yeah. A little shifting would be all right. Not that the climatists agree with me, and I, I understand that too. Uh, <laughs> so I want to get back to something you said because I think it's a really important piece of your story. Is you talked about having an eating disorder, and then what I think is kind of an interesting piece to your story is how the eating disorder kind of you shifted the whole sexual discovery piece, sort of shifted that for you massively. Oh, yeah. Talk about that because I think that again, I mean, food, right? Mm -hmm. Females especially, how many of us don't think somewhat about what we're eating, what we're, uh, you know, whether it's a, whether it's, uh, I don't know, I don't know where the line of healthy and unhealthy is, right? I mean, but it's that always kind of, for so many of us looking at what are we eating, how is that going to feed our body? How is it going to hang on our body? What is our self-worth about how much that hangs on our body? You know, and then if we have that extra muffin, 
you know, how we, we condemn ourselves, right? Mm, yeah. There's so many people in that place and it's hard. I mean, it's how we're acculturated. So it's just, to me, it's like, well, with all that we live around, that's not a surprising outcome. True. Yeah, very much so. So talk about what that is, is for you because, well, and I went to speak to something that, that, um, that you brought up in your book, but I think was originally mentioned in the beauty myth of the whole aspect that female thinness isn't an obsession about beauty, but it's more about women and being obedient and controlling. Mm-hmm. So again, back to that, if that's how our culture is kind of based. What do we expect out of ourselves? Right. It's not surprising considering all of those messages. It was fascinating for me because I didn't realize that I had shame around my sexuality, which I think is really, really common. Um, Sometimes we know because it's related to a particular event or a trauma, but there's another kind of trauma that's more, it's almost like a micro trauma that's over time where we are very disconnected from our sexuality and we've absorbed all these messages that we've been talking about. And I was taking a college course while I was in treatment for my eating disorder. So I had moved back from Paris to Minnesota. I was living in St. Cloud. And one day in class, the teacher said, we're going to talk about sex today. And it was one of those light bulb moments, one of those just, oh my gosh, because I realized I hadn't really talked about sex before. I hadn't talked about sex with the person I was having sex with. Mm. And it brought up all these questions in me. And I thought, wait a minute, why someone sitting next to me, I remember she was, she was like, okay, great. And she was ready to talk about this. And I was, I was excited and intrigued, but I noticed that nobody around me was having the same visceral reaction, at least that I could see. And so I started to ask myself, like, why is this the case? And it really lit a fire under me. And I literally have not talk, stopped talking about sex since. Like, it's just, <laughs> I just was like, oh my goodness, all of this, this darkness in my life that I hadn't even recognized. And I didn't realize it until later, but that moment was the moment that I stopped wanting to starve my body. I had a whole new respect for my body wanting to understand it wanting to respect it after having years where I had so many negative emotions around it. And certainly it wasn't a quick fix with the eating disorder. They take years to overcome. Uh, Some people, they go on chronically. I was very fortunate and that I moved past it. It probably took about 10 years, but it took me from really a, a very dangerous situation of needing to control everything that I ate and very heavy restriction to wanting to learn how to nourish my body. And that included sexually. So it changed my entire life. Um, Girl Boner didn't start immediately after that, but that was the biggest epiphany. Okay. Well, and it's interesting. One of the things that you had mentioned in your story was that in your healing from anorexia, that the, there was no mention about sex and sexuality. And, and like you had mentioned, there is the eating disorder is so much a distortion of your own sexuality and your femininity. It's so true. Yeah. Not a single person. And I, I was asked about pretty much everything else, my spiritual life, my, you know, intellectual life, my passions, my interests, my, of course, my physical well-being. Nobody asked me anything. And what is interesting about that is I think that if somebody had asked me, because obviously it only took one person 
saying, (laughs) (laughs) you know, let's talk about sex today. And then she brought up the clitoris and I was like, wait, I kind of know what you're talking about. Like it was, it just blew my mind. Um, So if a therapist or a doctor, if somebody had said to me as part of a questionnaire, even, you know, how, how is, do you think this might have impacted your sexuality or are, do you consider yourself a sexually active person? Do you masturbate? You know, things that I, you say that word and it's like masturbate is such a loaded term for people. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's literally just exploring your body. We have so much, um, just, I, I believe trauma around that. And so I do think it needs to be addressed because not only for people like me who really needed to learn to respect my body, but we also see a very strong link between sexual violence and eating disorders. And when you're helping somebody heal from trauma involving sexual violence, we need to be encouraging pleasure and reconnection and fostering that. And if we kind of bypass all the sex stuff, we only perpetuate a lot of the problem. Right. Well, you, we keep it under the table. And mm-hmm. when I think about when, you, when I heard that in your story and I thought about what an interesting thing because how the sort of interweaving of, well, why is somebody you know, and you can speak to this better than I can, but in my mind from never having had like anorexia or a real eating disorder, I've had disordered eating, but not an eating disorder, I guess, um, Mm -hmm. that when you think about the fact that so much of that is, it's a cultural thing. Like we shy away from sex and like you say, masturbation, oh my God, don't mention that word. And, you know, people will freak out. But where does the underlying messages come to us about what, what in my mind, and tell me if I'm wrong, what starts the eating disorders? It's, to me, it's how we're perceived. Like most of, most of when I have been frustrated with my body and how I look, it's, it's not about health. It's about what a partner might perceive about me or, you know, all the judgment. And it's, it, is part of that sexuality piece. It's a part of that approval piece. So to me to not address that blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. I think it is exactly what you're saying. And I think there are so many pieces to that and so many layers to where we get those ideas, but that, that needing validation, I think we're taught still that to be valued as a person, especially as a woman or a femme that you have to look a particular way. And kids learn that. I mean, really early on, kids absorb that message. And I know you've been talking a bit about racism and so many people are awakening to, so many white people, I I should um, articulate, are awakening to wanting to speak up maybe for the first time. Maybe they hadn't yet realized that they needed to be voicing um, their thoughts on anti-racism or learning more about their own privilege. And one step people could take involves this, this whole idea of like fat shaming, which is rooted in racism. There's this incredible book that I recommend called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia. Mm. It's by Sabrina Strings. And she, she did a lot of research and all of this comes from, you know, Protestant religions and the slave, slave trade. Um, it's really fascinating um, and, and very, very sad. The BMI, the body mass index, Mm-hmm. that so many people use to determine whether they are 
healthy or not, which, mm-hmm. you know, it's like your height and your weight and your, it, it, it doesn't actually assess health. And so it's, it's not a good tool to use in general, but it's what a lot of doctors use because it's a chart and that's what they were taught. But it was created based on science involving only white men. So you can imagine if you're comparing white men who tend to have a lot more muscle and be slimmer than women, and especially of, of women of color, then it's very skewed. And so we've come to associate this idea of um, value and beauty and glamour with restriction, which the restriction piece comes from Protestant religions, where it's like if you starve yourself, if you give up food, you're more pious, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all so linked and, and really fascinating, but also quite sad. I did a project in college and I had a picture in my presentation of a, a bodybuilder. And I brought up the fact that his body mass index means that he's obese. It's so true. Yes, because, a lot of athletes come, that's the result they get. Right. Yeah, it would be fascinating to be uh, like, say, a bodybuilder and walk out and go, oh, I'm, I'm obese. Okay, well, how does that... You know, you can look at it maybe and laugh and kind of see the insanity in it, but it also has a lot of effect. And I think, I know I was at an event, a health expo, no less, in Minneapolis years ago, and somebody was doing BMI um, with some funky machine. And I never got on it because I got scared off, to be honest with you. I watched these two girls in front of me who were thin. I mean, they were thin. And I don't know if I'd say unhealthily thin, but they, they, you know, when we talk about thigh gap, they had one, they were told they were overweight. And mm. I've like, first of all, I'm like, Hey, I'm not going to get on there. And I hung around because I wanted to listen more. I want to, I was trying to figure out if I had the guts to say something because I was so sad for these girls that I didn't know because I wanted to like go, I wanted to like grab the paper out of their hand and go, please throw that away. Like that has nothing to do with you. It's and really true. Yeah. It, that it that just, breaks my heart because yeah. so many people are very vulnerable to these messages. And so if you go in to one of those tests and you already have poor body image as most, especially women have, <laughs> you know, it's, right? it's just another thing to work against you and harm you. And it's, it's so, it's so unfortunate. I mean, you really can't tell someone's health by their size. That's something that, that historically, that's not what thinness was associated with was not health. It's that's something that has evolved over time. And so as one example, I had higher cholesterol when I was anorexic than healthier. So it's, it's not something that you can tell from the outside. It's, it's, there's so many layers to it. It's very, you know, you just can't take our health and wrap it up into a tight little number by you just standing on a thing right. <laughs> or clutching a thing. Right. But we, we long for that because we're in this performance-based culture that really puts so much emphasis on achieving, you know, and if we can get a grade, if we can get a number, um, if we can pass the test, then, then we feel better about ourselves. But the truth is, that's not really true either, because the more we fixate on those things, the further the finish line moves. So it becomes a very vicious cycle. And to the point you brought up about Naomi Wolf's book, it really does become something that keeps you focused on something other than being a human. Right. And there's a lot of time and effort that we all spend on there. I mean, no judgment. It's just a thing, <laughs> you right. know, and, yeah. and how much of that is because we want to and how much of it is that is because we feel like we have to. 
Right. And imagine what you could do with that energy and time. Yeah. You know? I have so much empathy for people who are, are struggling, of course. And I remember all too well what that's like to have it take up so much mental space. But my favorite thing to see in people when they are healing from an eating disorder is the, the passion and the, the livelihood that can come, you know, just feeling alive and wanting to create, um, whether it's a new career or it's a creative passion, so many people achieve great things once they stop obsessing, which is not an easy thing. <laughs> you know, it takes a lot, but it does start with some awareness and a commitment. Um, and it's okay if it feels hard, it's supposed to. And you speak so much to body positivity and you look at that like on your podcast, in your book, so much of what I've read in just many different angles, which I love. You don't make it sort of like simple. Well, just be, say happy things to your body and make happy thoughts and everything will be fine. Like you give it a much broader process and I appreciate that. Speak to... When we think of body positivity, because I, I, it's something that we hear a lot about, but I also feel like it's something that it's one more thing that we can not be good at. Like, I feel, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally. And how, how do you like getting there? Because I think there's a lot of, I, I don't even know if I own, I know the journey to really being, getting to the place of body positive. And I know that it's not exactly uh, just do these five steps and poof, you're good. But where do you, you take people with that or, or how do you help them find their way? And I don't know if this is exactly related, but there was something else in your book that I, that I saw that, I, that struck me as interesting when you were talking about your eating disorder, that you were talking about how, how you perceived your body as too large. And how do you go from that to where you are today to find body positivity? Like when you look back through the eyes of your younger self in thinking those thoughts and where you are today, mm. is there anything you can give to help people even start their way on that journey? I really appreciate that question. And I love what you said about this pressure we can put on ourselves to even do body positivity right because I think that's an incredibly important uh, piece to keep in mind is that body positivity to me is not uh, a destination it's not just like sexual empowerment I don't think it's a, a place that we go and we get there and hey we're done we're cool we got this I love my body you know we hear so much about like love your body just love your body um, which sounds very simple and and often isn't and I think that one important step is to commit to, to respecting your body and the bodies of other people. Because what happens is we get very focused on our own bodies, right? That's mm -hmm. the nature of, of all of this. And when we are body positive, it means that we are committed to challenging those negative ideas and to challenging our perceptions of what beauty is, of what sexy means. Um, you know, that we are respecting people of all shapes and sizes. I think, I think the commitment is really big. So even if you say, I don't feel like I'm in a place right now where I can love my body. I can't look in the mirror and just tell you that I just love my body. You don't need to do that. Um, if you're not there, if that sounds overwhelming, or if you feel like you'll just stand there and cry, which is where I was for years and years, I think it's really important to 
say, I can respect my body. I can choose one way to honor my body. Um, giving ourselves permission to, to really delve into our beliefs and also where they came from, because it's not your fault that you feel these things <laughs> because as we're talking about, you know, these things are, are historically rooted. There's so many years and so much money that goes into people not feeling great about their bodies because you sell products to quote unquote fix things. You know, that's why they say that moderation isn't marketable in, in the diet world because people want a quick fix. They want a pill, they want a plan. And so just knowing where those things come from and then and then just trusting yourself along the way and really practicing compassion, self-compassion, I think is really, really important. One thing I, I bring up often is we hear that, you know, confidence is the sexiest thing. And I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves, like, but I'm not feeling confident. You can still have a really pleasurable sex life and sensual life, meaning you're connected to pleasure of, of other kinds and not feel like you quote unquote, love your body. Sometimes it's the act of allowing yourself to explore your sexuality or your sensuality that really allows you to have that respect. I mean, that's what helped me so much. I think it's, it's hard to feel really negative about your body, like right after an orgasm, for example. You're mm. probably not in that moment being like, <laughs> I need to diet. You're kind of going, wow, my body's amazing. Right. So, you know what I mean? That was kind of a long-winded way of saying it. But I think your pleasure matters. And sometimes that's a better focus. And it's something we don't talk about. Like, I mean, when we are taught sexuality, we're not taught pleasure. True. You yes. know, there's no, there's no discussion of pleasure. I mean, I, uh, I, I love this story. Do you, do you know who Dan Savage is? Yes. Okay. I figured you did. He talked to he and his partner, Terry, they have a son. And when he went to talk to his son about sex, he completely forgot the pleasure part, which <laughs> I think for somebody who has a, has had a, a sex advice column for like 30, 20 some 30 years now, I think it's uh -huh. like the best story because I think it speaks so much how ingrained it is in our culture and somebody who speaks about pleasure every day when they're talking to their own kid messed it up in a sense. And I, I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful story that lets a lot of people off the hook and allows you to re-enter that conversation with yourself, with your kids, mm -hmm. you know, with your partner of, yeah. Hey, here's a focus we don't, we don't get to talk ab about, you know, and certainly pornography doesn't promote women's pleasure at all. It hardly in some ways promotes men's in some cases, <laughs> but the only focus is, did the orgasm happen for him? And then where are you in that picture as a female, right? Mm. Yeah, that, that is really, I hadn't heard that about Dan Savage and that talk. I think it's really beautiful that they shared that. Yes. You know? I, I it does. It does. I think it's, it's challenging for, for most people because these topics, again, they're not, if they were easy and breezy to talk about, they wouldn't be so taboo. Like they've, they're stigmatized, they're, they're challenging. And generationally, you know, our parents learned less than their parents learned less than their parents. So it's mm -hmm. giving ourselves grace to really not know the answers and to just, again, it's, it's really about committing to wanting to to live in a, in a healthier space and not health in, in the way that the wellness industry defines it, you know, but in a really true way where you have balance in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Speak 
to speak to the words sexually empowered, because I know one of the things that you also mentioned somewhere that, you know, you were having sex, but you weren't sexually empowered. Can you kind of encapsulate what that means for you? I think it's interesting because the word empowerment, a lot of people define as power somebody gives to another. I define it as reclaiming our own power. We inherently have sexual empowerment, but we get disconnected from it for all sorts of reasons, many of which we've been talking about. So I think it's really about connecting to your own authentic sexuality. So when I was having sex, but not feeling sexually empowered, it, it really had to do with, at the time, if you had asked me what sexual empowerment meant, I probably would have said, oh, it means you're having sex you know, or you enjoy sex or something, (laughs) but you can be an asexual person and be sexually empowered. You can be, you know, any orientation (laughs) and be sexually empowered. You could be having zero sex, frequent sex, seldom sex. It's not about that. Our sexuality is, is part of who we are and how we move about in the world and how we connect and how we're attracted to people, all these different things. It's not about a particular act So I think it really boils down to authenticity. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is, I think we're, I think we're kind of getting the edges of getting better with that and having, letting people have their permission and more people are kind of sticking their nose out, which it's, I think so important. I mean, I, you know, if you would have told me, even when I was 25, 30 years old, that I'd be having this conversation or that I'd have a podcast about sex, I would have been like, yeah, no, probably not. <laughs> like, it sounds like a good idea, but no, probably not. <laughs> right. Yeah, you've come a long way, no pun well, intended. <laughs> right. It, it is, but it's, I've always seen it as this very important thing that we're not doing well, that we're not, that we're hurting each other. I think there's a lot of hurt over it. I, I you know, I've talked to many, uh, many men and many women who, when you talk about when, when the subject of, of their sexual relationship comes up with their partner, especially long-term partner, to talk about connecting about that, there is a lot of walls or there's a, yeah, we don't, we don't talk about that or, oh, I couldn't bring that up or, oh, well, you know, but I don't, I don't want to state my preferences or there's just so much non-communication. Yeah. It's really common too, as you mentioned, to not feel comfortable communicating, especially when there's an issue, which everybody has. I mean, it's interesting because we have challenges around every part of a relationship, right? Choosing a restaurant. If somebody doesn't want to go to a particular restaurant, the other person does, it doesn't turn into this big shrouded in secrecy and shame thing, right? Mm -hmm. Typically at least. Um, But if you have, if you're like, no, I don't want to have that kind of sex, it brings up so many different feelings for a lot of people where they feel, I'm afraid of making them feel rejected. I don't want to seem like I'm not sexually cool. Uh, You know, we never talk about this and I just don't want it to be weird. So that's a, that's a really common thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, again, I think your work and and so many other people's, it is trying to, trying to help change that landscape and get, put more things in people's minds that, no, 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 this is okay. This is, not only is it okay, it's really important. Yes, it is absolutely important. And it is worth the uncomfortable conversations. And very seldom will it be as uncomfortable as you're fearing. Um, I think, I think the anxiety around it tends to be much bigger. 
in, in most cases. I mean, sometimes, you know, it brings up um, an argument or some, some toxic things and you need to deal with those. And those are important things to learn, you know, if that comes up. But I think in general, the anxiety, a lot of times people go, oh, it wasn't actually that bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they might spend days or weeks or months or years struggling with that feeling of, I can never talk about this. And then it festers and becomes something much larger. Do you have any like resources or kind of thoughts about way to approach that? If somebody is like, they're, they're hitting that tipping point of saying, okay, I have to, like for the sake of our relationship, I have to talk about this, but my gosh, how do I do this? Gosh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I mean, it, it, certainly there are a lot of um, sexologists and sex educators who have written about that. I've talked about it a bunch of times with different questions on my podcast because very often when people have a question, part of it is I don't know how to bring this up to a partner. But one tip that I can recommend that I think is important is if you never talk about sex, it's going to be much harder to talk about a challenge in in your sex life. So one step to take would be to try to normalize sexual conversations. And one way to do that is to, you know, mention to the person um, that you want to have this conversation with that this is not an easy thing for me to bring up, but I I would like to just talk about sex, you know, is that cool? Um, And so I think that that can start the, the ball rolling, so to speak. And just as you don't want to have one talk about sex with kids, you know, the talk, which brings up, makes it very anxiety inducing for a lot of people. You want it to be an ongoing conversation and typically not in the middle of sex, like right when something's happening, unless you need to stop things because obviously something's wrong, definitely do that. But if you have a request and you're like, oh, I kind of want to talk about this kinky thing that I read about or saw, don't do it right in the heat of the moment, <laughs> you know, bring things up maybe when you're having a, a just private dinner conversation or something and, and it'll get easier and easier. It becomes a practice and then it becomes something that enhances your relationship. It's, it's very rewarding. I, I love, I love that advice. And it's, it's a advice that I have given many times as well of the whole, don't, don't have the big conversation during sex. Wait till, yeah, wait till you're doing something so completely different. Mm-hmm. that it makes it so much easier and there's so much less attached to it. <laughs> yeah, um, for the big stuff, I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the orgasm that changed your life. Your words. <laughs> yeah. This happened when you were what, 30 years old? Yes. Yeah, so I mentioned I had the big epiphany in the sex you know, conversation class in a psychology class I took. The next big epiphany that really set me on the path for launching Girl Boner was masturbating for the first time at age 30. And it's interesting because I I really didn't think I needed to masturbate before that. I I was in relationships most of the time. And if I wanted, or I for a while had like a single time where I was having quote unquote casual sex. And I just, it hadn't really occurred to me as something that I needed to do. And that really fascinates me now. But at the time it was just normal. Like I, I had never um, really faced the fact that I had shame around it. And so I was already with um, a long-term partner and he was away uh, working long hours. And one night I was just feeling really blah I knew it wasn't depression, but it just felt like 
something was really off and I felt very distracted. <laughs> Turned out I was really horny. Um, I started watching Netflix and flicking through the channels and, you know, they make recommendations and it recommended uh, this French film called Diary of a Nymphomaniac. And I started watching it and my hands like involuntarily went to my vulva and I was like, whoa, whoa. And I started to have this like teenage like experience where I remembered that I had this toy this dildo up in the bedroom that had been given to my partner and I as a gift that was kind of a joke gift that glows in the dark and does all these weird things. But I was like, Oh my gosh, what if I, what if I use that? So I like tiptoe upstairs and I played with myself and it was so life changing. Just all the emotions that came up. I felt so free and so um, connected to myself and it really helped me embrace my body on a deeper level. I'd already done so much work on moving past the eating disorder and all of that. It hadn't even occurred to me that I still had this sort of like residue from that. You know, I hadn't fully um, moved into sexuality as my own thing. That for me at that time, sex was still something that was so dependent on another person that I had, it hadn't dawned on me that my, I needed to embrace it for myself. I love like, I love your description of that you tiptoed upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it was like this scandalous, secret, fun little thing. Like, ooh, look what I'm going to do. I felt like a little kid. It was like having another adolescence, only without all the gross, yucky parts. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of nice in its own little way. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, well, and, I, you know, again, like you said, that word carries so much for so many people. I mean, how many people don't have stories that they were taught? You know, I feel like women really got the the brunt of that. Like, yes, I, I definitely heard that, that that some of the guys were told, you know, if you masturbate, you you get hairy palms, right? Like that was a thing, but it didn't feel like it was as harsh and it was as intense. For, for men or boys, it felt like it was sort of, yeah, they shouldn't do that, but they're boys, so boys will be boys kind of thing a little bit, mm-hmm. where somehow women, girls were supposed to do life very different and were supposed to be, quote unquote, good girls, and little ladies don't act like that, one of my least favorite things to hear out of oh people's mouths. <laughs> right, it's so That's true. Like I remember lady. hearing that... It's a sin. Masturbation is a sin, but boys can't help it, which sends quite a message. I mean, I had learned that I'm never supposed to touch, quote unquote, down there. And that instilled fear in me that even when I rejected other ideas from that particular religion, I still had absorbed that idea that there's something very wrong about that. And so I think it's it's an important thing to talk about. And it's it's interesting because at that time, I had this feeling of, I need to tell everybody about this amazing thing I discovered. You know, like, did you know that you can masturbate? Like, this is a big news or something, even though I knew that it wasn't, because it actually sent me into more of those questions about my journey and why have I never done this before? Um, and then I thought, I wonder how common this is. And I realized that it's relatively uncommon. I mean, it still is very masturbation is the most common form of sexuality. It's the type of sex most people have first. However, whenever I share that story or if somebody reads my book, inevitably somebody will reach out to me and tell me that they were a a late bloomer, so to speak too. And there's like this kind of club where we're like, yeah, we discovered it. Because when you discover it later, 
it's very different, I think, in some ways at first. It's kind of like, you know, when you have your first kisses and like your first romance, it's all so exciting and new. It feels like you get to have that with yourself as an adult, which is kind of cool. Wow. I lo- I'm, yeah, I love that you share that. I think that that's, it's, I think it's helpful because for people who haven't explored that side of their self, they, they don't have the, well, I'm too old excuse, right? It's kind of like, well, no, you're, you're never too old. <laughs> Exactly. It's true. I mean, I interviewed somebody who had her sexual awakening at age 70. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, sad and so cool at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that does bring up some, some grief, you know, when you realize because you go, imagine going through decades and not experiencing that kind of pleasure or connection and then to have it and to kind of miss it in reverse, you know? Oh, heck yeah. Well, my gosh, when you, you know, we talk about men sowing their wild oats before they get into a long-term relationship, but we do not talk about that. And if we do talk about that for women, it is never a positive. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. You you don't hear, you don't hear about a woman sowing her oats and people cheering that on. No, exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest myths I like debunking is men are not inherently more sexual than women. It's just factually not true. It's it, desire is such an individual thing and it does not have to do with gender or genitalia. So everything is normal. Whatever is normal for you is your normal and it's great. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. If we could, if we could get well, okay, there are many sentences I'd like to get out of our vocabularies as humans, but one of them being when I hear men say, you know, well, I'm a man, I gotta have it. And it's just like, oh, do you realize how you are, how you're not allowing the women around you to also, you're, you're saying it's not okay for us in, in some way. I mean, and I know that, that that statement feels like it also comes with a load of culture too, but it's like it takes away that permission to be sexual as a female because it is there's just so much that says, yeah, if you're the woman and you want to be, I don't even think it's just the aggressor. If you admit to wanting to have sex, I mean, I know I still have a problem admitting that in public places because somehow I feel like somehow that's not for me, you know? Yeah. It's very interesting. If you think about even the terms we use, it's one reason I wanted to trademark girl boner because literally my slang dictionary had many, many terms for a person with a penis who's turned on, but none for a person with a vulva. So it's really interesting when you think about having no language for it even. Like it's, it's silencing. And the words that we do have, like the word promiscuous, do you ever hear that about a straight man? No. <laughs> you know, you don't. Yeah, you no. hear he's a... He's a, he's a bachelor. He's a boys will be boys. As you mentioned, it's, it's very different. The only time I've ever heard a man with that word um, being described with that term is when they are gay and flamboyant and somewhat effeminate because they're, they're like a, you know, womanly. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's interesting that we, we associate femininity with a lower interest in sex, wanting fewer partners, all of those things. And that's just not based in reality. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I love that there's science for that because that line has been used against, you know, me, my friends so many times. Well, you don't understand what it's like to be a man and need sex. You're a girl. You don't, you don't understand. You don't want sex as much as, as men do. And it's really hard to say, well, no, that's not true. Like, romantic comedies are are a thing. Well, that's another thing too that has come up in college classes and things like that where um where guys when when we talk about sort of the challenges that women have moving throughout the earth, men will say, well, you know, romantic comedies haven't done a whole lot for us and how women perceive they want the relationship to go, which I can understand. But as somebody pointed out in one of my college classes, look at all the romantic comedies and how many of them were directed, written by women. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, the the messages there are, they definitely hurt people of all genders, but definitely I would say the ones, when you do find a gem that is written or directed by a woman, you will see differences there because we we do, we think we are going to be swept off or if, if a man you know, if we date men and a man is showing up at our house when we said we're busy, that's, that's awesome. It shows they're into you. (laughs) No, that's kind of like somewhat stocky behavior. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you're so right about that. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with that a thought, a word of wisdom, something that's coming across your, your brain and your focus lately that you want to leave folks with before we, we go? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think I've been thinking a lot about sexual empowerment and privilege, which I have a, a chapter on it in the in my book. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important that we understand that all of us have barriers there. Some people have far more barriers than we do, and that all these things that are are very top of mind for a lot of people now more so, although the issues have been there forever, mm-hmm. involving um, racism and um, homophobia and, and all of those things and transphobia, they also are very entrenched in our, in our sex education and the things we learn about our bodies and pleasure. So I think learning about all of that and unpacking that is really important. The other thing I really recommend to anyone is journaling. I think that because we do tend to have you know, either shame or embarrassment or maybe just privacy needs. It's Nobody needs to be talking about sex publicly, getting on stage and talking about orgasms unless they want to. But I think having comfort in our own lives and our own selves is really important. And journaling is a beautiful tool for that because you can put your thoughts in a place where there is no judgment. No one else is going to read this. Just put it out there because you will learn so much about yourself. You don't have to be thinking about it in terms of syntax or grammar. Just let the thoughts out, see what's there and give yourself grace and compassion to start where you are. Mm, That's great. Yeah. It is amazing what journaling can do for you, (laughs) what you can discover. Yeah, it's powerful. It really is. And I, I think that's true whether you're a writer or not. And there are different ways to journal too. If you're not somebody who enjoys putting the pen to paper or typing, even like a voice memo or something. I think just really going into our thoughts and and seeing what's there because we get so bombarded with so many things and it's so easy to just wake up and grab your phone and get lost in social media and then go from thing to thing to thing. Even during the pandemic, I think, when Mm. more of us are at home, I think that's still still important to, to check in with ourselves. 
I love that you mentioned the voice memo piece because, you know, I mean, we think about kind of the old adage that, you know, talking to yourself um, isn't, a, isn't a good thing. And I've, I've certainly seen multiple studies that say, you know, talking to ourselves is a great thing. And I, I think that is a, another way, it's a great way to, to talk stuff out, you know, um, get, get your body moving and going. And, you know, when you're in the car or whatever, be able to just sit and it's funny that I use that example because I don't drive. Um, <laughs> but that time when you're by yourself to talk, to talk stuff through, I, I, I used to live across the hall from a woman who I would, I would hear her praying aloud in her apartment a lot when she cooked. Mm-hmm. And I thought it, it took me a little, like I had to process through that my head a little bit. At first I, I kind of in my mind judged her for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then I was like, you know, but that's actually really kind of cool. What a great way to, to have that conversation, to talk through things, right? Whether you're talking to yourself, whether you're talking to God, whatever, who, you know, whatever works for you. And I would occasionally, when I was unlocking the door, because she wasn't quiet about it, I would hear some of the things she said. And that's kind of what, what got me to sort of like, oh, wow, that is actually probably really therapeutic. Absolutely. It's a, it's a form of meditation. And it is that it is kind of a form of journaling and and usually there's gratitude infused in it so that's beautiful too we all have different ways of of approaching these things and i i love that you were able to you know check into your own beliefs about that and and come to a place of it sounds like respect and even admiration and go oh that's that's actually kind of cool what she's doing yeah yeah no i i thought it i thought it i thought it was cool it took me a little bit together but i did really think it was cool and when i you know and i talk about myself i'm a verbal processor you know well so verbally process <laughs> yeah. absolutely whatever works for you there there's no one right way to do any of that stuff i think definitely working with what feels good. If it feels like homework, <laughs> don't, don't use your self-care time for homework. Oh, I love that. That's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> Tell people how they can find you and please do mention uh, the titles of your books. Oh, thank you. So you can go to girlboner.org to find all kinds of stuff that I do and more resources as well to all my guests. And, and some of the questions we've been talking about are addressed in blog posts. You can subscribe to Girl Boner Radio, my podcast on pretty much any podcast app. And my books so far are Girl Boner, The Good Girl's Guide to Sexual Empowerment, and then Girl Boner Journal, which is a guided journal full of stories, uh, but also you can write in it, draw in it, doodle in it, <laughs> whatever, whatever's your fancy. Uh, that kind of, it goes well with the main book, but it also can be a standalone just, just to help you explore a whole bunch of different topics related to sexual empowerment. Awesome. And yeah, your podcasts are, uh, there's just so many topics. I love it. It's beautiful. Like just, just somebody, you know, if you're, if you're going checking it out, just take a scroll through there. Cause it's just, mm-hmm. there's just some great stuff. And really I have, have enjoyed just listening to the different people's perspectives and the skill sets that, that you're bringing on to share these ideas. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It's, it's been such an incredible journey for me and I meet such wonderful people that way. So I appreciate you mentioning the, the guests. I feel like I'm always learning and the way we move through the world and make things better, I think story and, and communication conversations are so important. It's, it's one reason that your work is so important. I'm really grateful you're doing it. And thank you for having me on. This has been a pleasure. 
Oh yeah, thank you for saying yes. I'm I was super excited to to do this and and uh you're right. Every every guest is like it's another little step forward. That's one of my favorite things about the podcast is is the opportunity to learn from uh from everybody and people being willing to share their time and their expertise and you know there's just so many there's so many great people in the world. You want them to like have some time to say, "Woohoo, here I am. This is what I do." You know, this is what I think. This is how I process the world. Yeah. And what a gift for us to be able to just go to an app and ex- absorb all that. It's amazing. I love Isn't it apps. wild? I know. And it's, there's so much, like I want to be like 10 people because there's just so much that I want to just take in and process, but I am, I'm grateful for the time that I have and the, the resources that we have to, to collect them all. So. <laughs> right. Oh my gosh. And please give Minnesota a hug for me. I really, <laughs> really miss that place. Hopefully we'll be able to, well, I guess we can travel about the world, but hopefully it'll get a little bit easier soon. Sounds yeah. like it, it will. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking your time and sharing of yourself and uh, helping all of us share ourselves, both with ourselves and with other people better. Because I think that is so much of, of the work that you're doing. Oh, I appreciate that, Judy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, you can find August at girlboner.org. And if you check on Amazon and you will be able to get to her book through the wellnessrenpodcast.com website, which is great if you uh, go through that link and if you buy that or whatever else you buy, it helps support the podcast. So we'd love you to do that. But go check it out. Just check out her chapter headings and the way she breaks it out. You get to see how comprehensive her book and her information is taking you kind of from the very beginning and some of the basics and not leaving you there, taking you all the way through some of the details around relationships. But it's so good. And she's just a great voice to listen to. Um, I read her audiobook. I read the audio version and she reads it and that always makes me happy. She did a beautiful job. And uh, so check it out. It's good stuff. It's great information. Oh my gosh. If you've got kids, you know, teenagers, young adults in the house, what a great resource for you as a parent, conversation starters, just information, one of those things you can have sitting on the bookshelf and maybe the kids will pull it out and take a look at it when you're gone, right? Or when you're there. Either way, check it out. She's got a really, like for instance, a really nice chart on what does consent mean and what is non-consent. So much great stuff to think about no matter where you are in your sexual, human journey, exploration, life. These are not always conversations that we put into our priority. So, and you can get to her podcasts and her blogs from her website as well. So check her out. Thank you again so much for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, continue to find the pieces that fit beautifully in your health and wellness puzzle. We'll see you next time.